0: my name is jeremy and this is good beer matters
1: you know canada still seeing itself largely as an agrarian country and beer is the best expression and the best value-added agri-food you can get breweries have become those community meeting places And Canada has gotten quite good at facilitating that
0: center of community. Canada is known for many cool things, especially beer, but I've never been there. And I don't know much about it other than what I see in the movies. So I asked my next guest to give us a tour of the craft and culture of beer in Canada. We find great experiences at the intersection of craft and culture. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. For the craft and culture of beer, this is episode 138 of Good Beer Matters with Brad Goddard of Canada's Big Rock Brewery.
2: Well, welcome everyone. If you are watching this uh, this episode this time around, then uh, you'll see that uh, that uh, one of us got dressed up for the occasion, <laughs> and one of us did not. Uh, although the one who did not is wearing a brand new T-shirt from uh, T-shirts on Tap. So you know, it, you know, it's like you know. It's it's clean, so I I can commit to that. If you're listening to this, one of us is wearing a bow tie and suspenders and looks uh, absolutely dashing, and uh, and the the other the other guy is just wearing a plain old t-shirt. Uh, but we're here to talk about beer, not fashion. Uh, so um, for those you've been following along, you know that we've been uh, basically taking a world tour to really learn to study, to try to experience at least remotely what that, that uh, the subculture of beer is like and what, how each subculture, each uh, larger culture kind of celebrates and, and, and just really enjoys their beer experience. Today, we get to head to Canada. And uh, Brad, thank you so much for being here and representing all of Canada on the Good Beer Matters podcast. <laughs>
1: very happy to be here. Very happy to be here. And, and <laughs> I will take my role as the token Canadian uh, very seriously.
2: Well, yeah, Mike Myers wasn't available. And so I appreciate you <laughs> stepping in in his place. Uh, uh ju- just to kind of kick things off, you know, uh, you and I haven't met before. We haven't sat down and had a beer before. I hope to remedy that sometime in the future. But uh it, but you know, in all fairness, we are all getting to know you uh as as we're listening and watching to this. So will you tell us who you are and what do you do in beer? Uh I'm Brad, Brad Goddard. I work for Big Rock Brewing Canada's uh
1: oldest craft brewery and uh I have been in craft beer for about 23 or 24 years. I had an unusual entrance into the craft beer world back in the salad days of craft beer in Canada, which would be the early 2000s. I started with um, Steam whistle Brewing back then. And, and I actually started by impersonating my identical twin brother on their bottling line, you know, a few months after they had opened up. Uh, we, swi- we literally switched clothes, just like Prince and the Popper. He had an audition to go to. We switched clothes and I started working there. And uh, I have just never stopped. Being at a brewery since that day that we pulled that little caper,
2: <laughs> uh, and and no one found out until they listened to this. I, I <laughs> yeah.
1: Spoiler alert for my, <laughs> for my previous bosses. Spoiler alert.
2: Yeah. 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 So
1: uh, beer in a long time. Oh, and what I do. So
2: yeah. What do you do uh,
1: here at Big Rock? I'm the vice president of innovation, contract manufacturing, and uh, government relations. So like, kind of a little bit of everything.
2: That sounds like uh, a very diverse portfolio of a job description. So you're dealing with the government, you're dealing with uh, new brews, uh, and and luckily it, it, by your appearance, it doesn't look like you're still on the bottling bottling line. But nope. but there's a there's a plenty on your to do list, I'm sure. So thank you for the time. Um, uh, so uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna plead ignorance on this one uh, because I haven't spent any time in Canada. That's always been on my to-do list. I've been dying to get up there, uh, particularly British Columbia because I love the coast and and that's just you know it's it's on my list. But I haven't uh, experienced Big Rock Brewery before. Tell us a little bit more about the history, the story about Big Rock.
1: Uh, so Big Rock was founded in 1985 by a fellow in the 60s, Ed McNally, our founder. Um, it was the second craft brewery to start up. There, there is a bit of controversy. Granville Island, which is now owned by Molson Coors, was kind of the undisputed first Canadian craft brewery. And then around the same time, uh, Brick Brewing and in and, and Big Rock Brewing, Brit brewing in Ontario and Big Rock and Calgary, founded up. And it was it was born out of Ed's frustration. He was a fairly well-traveled guy and he had represented barley farmers in a legal challenge against the Canadian government. Um, we had a, a wheat board or a, a bit of a, the government had formed a cartel which stood in between farmers and how they're in their path to market the wheat board. And so Ed had sued them on the premise that the Canadian government wasn't competent to to market, uh, to grow barley, but like brewer's barley. And and was successful in that, and so then they exempted it, and it eventually led to the wheat board getting dissolved or, or turning into something different. And so Ed founded this up, and and uh, and had a few buddies that financed this dream of making beers of a different color. The first three beers Ed launched with in 1985, in a landscape dominated by North American loggers, uh, he launched a porter, a bitter, and a brown ale. Which was like dark, dark and darker, which I've talked to some old cowboys. We got a lot of real cowboys in Alberta. It's not just a myth. You do see them walking around on the street. And they would dump our beer down gopher holes. Anything to avoid putting it in their mouth, because it was so profoundly different than than what the Canadian beer market was at the time. And and that's eighty-five. It is the echo effect or the end of the echo effect of prohibition. So Canada did have a prohibition similar to America. And in that time, what we saw was consolidation and homogenization. So few, far, far fewer regional breweries. And then those beers trading across much greater geographies had to make beer that appealed to a broader spectrum of folks. You know, um, Canada's got Ukrainians and Germans and and the Dutch and the English. And so you know, you, you're trying to please a very wide demographic. And so we see beer become less and less exciting, far less influenced by the culture of a certain geography because beer was traveling farther. Mm -hmm. And, and when, you know, at the time when big rock was founded, I think there was 50 breweries in Canada, but most of those breweries would have been represented by Carlene O'Keefe, Molson Labatt, um, that those were the players that were dominating it um at the time and so ed founded us and and the way we've gone we've seen a lot happen in the canadian beer scene um from that what i'll call craft beer revolution you know ours is a a few decades after what i'll call the american original revolution ed was buddies with fritz maytag actually um of anchor steam and i'll tell that story a little bit later but but um you know, it went through that in the 80s. We see revolution, like a totally new era of of small manufacturing that starts up. A lot of guys came and went during that period of time. We get to the 90s and craft collapses. Big Rock survives, but mid 90s or late 90s craft collapses largely based on um, the quality of of the beer not living up to the price of the beer and consumers becoming a little jaded about craft beer. And then in the late 90s early 2000s we see a craft beer evolution of sorts where guys like steam Whistle start back up and and uh, brewers who had survived that craft beer crash in the mid 90s reinvent themselves to a degree and we see moving away from bottles and all the same stuff that we've seen mm-hmm. in, in in states and then we get up to about 2013 and a new distinct period of craft beer which is what we're living in right now um, that we've seen very, very rapid growth of the Canadian brewing scene. So from 2006, where there was maybe 82 breweries in Canada, so you think 1985 to 2006, 30 breweries started up, craft breweries in that time, and more consolidation and closing. But then once you get to 2010, you'll see us go nationally from about 213 breweries to now 1,200 breweries in Canada. And so really profound growth in this most recent iteration of, of craft.
2: Well, it sounds like there's a lot of parallels between what was happening in Canada and in the U S and I, I do particularly uh, appreciate that you call it a North American lager, not an American lager because you know, in all fairness, it was happening everywhere. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why it just got the quote unquote American lager moniker, but, uh, but, you know, thank you for keeping it real. Um, <laughs> you you mentioned something about uh, the Canadian uh, prohibition. Uh, what was the timeline of that? Did that did that mirror the American prohibition? I, I, again, I, I'm going to plead ignorance on this one.
1: Fairly closely. So each province is a little bit different, um, but ostensibly from the end of World War One through to the early 30s you know, it, different provinces came and went during that time. It wasn't, uh, um, like, as we wound it down, I think PEI might have been one of the last ones to to f- get out of Prohibition. We still have, similar to some states in America, we still have dry counties in yeah, Canada. Okay. Which I think even Canadian lis- listeners would be surprised. We have dry towns uh, and dry counties here, but but very close to the American length of time. I mean, Canada was running a lot of whiskey into the States uh, because during Prohibition, even on both sides of the border, uh, we could still sell to America. Uh, America couldn't legally buy it, but we could still sell to America. And so you find my wife is from Kenora, Ontario, and you find a place called Whiskey Island. Um, Kenora shares a border with Minnesota. And so you find a lot of maybe apocryphal stories of how they ran whiskey uh, over the Lake of the Woods and all kinds of stuff like that. But, yeah, very similar to America. What, what I don't know about American Prohibition that I do know about Canadian Prohibition is, is we see guys like E.P. Taylor, who, who literally look like the Monopoly man, going around and consolidating, seeing breweries who are hard luck and buying them up and bottling soda pop. But knowing, you know, as maybe the elite who never stopped drinking through Prohibition, mm-hmm. knowing that Prohibition would have an end and if you could control all of the brewing capacity then he could control the market and so like a vulture away they went one unique um we make a cider and so we partner bc which you mentioned earlier which is is one of canada's two fruit baskets um uh, we work with a guy ward cidery and and chris turton he was a fifth generation orchardist but during prohibition he his family grew five varieties six varieties of english cider varietals of apples which are not eating apples you're not going to reach into a bowl and grab a cider apple and be happy with the results and so in the 90s he replanted his cider apples to undo or reconnect with his family's roots pre-prohibition and uh and then came to us and said geez I got all these apples can you make a cider which which Ed did because he admired the chutzpah that Chris Turton had saying I just want to do it I I didn't have a market for it but I don't like the prohibition made my family change how we grow like change the, the 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 Fruits that we grow and so planted them and dammed the torpedoes, and then we started making cider, which is unusual for a committed craft brewery to do. Yeah, but,
2: but, but, our uh, founder's but what it. a great example of burn the bridges and move forward, and we'll figure out the rest. And uh, I guess yeah, those and, stories and don't always work much. out.
1: No, and and Ed Ed's fortunate he had uh our original board, uh, he had some. Some strong, powerful friends. Not necessarily. They don't necessarily didn't didn't necessarily love the beer he was making, but they believed in Ed's conviction that Canadians deserve choice, particularly Albertans. But but the Canadians deserved better beer, um, which is still which, which is still our philosophy today.
2: Hey there, it's me, Jeremy again. I forgot to mention that I also have a podcast with my dear friend, the incredible Julia Hers. Together, we've
0: created the Sense of Beer Style podcast. It's the essential training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. We've created prepisodes to cover foundational beer knowledge, as well as style casts to walk you through each category of the 2021 BJCP Beer Style Guidelines. If you work with beer as part of your job, then subscribe and listen so you can become an authority. Go to senseofbeerstyle.com to subscribe.
2: Uh, so speaking of better beer, um, you know, I, I looked at the website, but that only tells me so much, you know, when in, in doing the research, but what kind of beers is Big Rock putting out? Uh, what, 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 I mean, what are you guys known for?
1: Um, we are, and, and I, and I say this when I take people through the brewery is, is we're, from a generation of craft brewers that was influenced by geography. So here in Southern Alberta, we have an embarrassment of two riches. One is we've got barley and wheat literally on our doorstep. I'm surrounded in barley farms here that make some of the most extraordinary two-row barley and wheat and rye, uh, and we use a fair bit of rye here, in the world. And so you're surrounded in it. We've got very large maltsters based here in both in Calgary. And also in central Alberta, the the tallest malting towers, interesting kind of contest between the two of them. They both claim to have the tallest malting towers in North America. One of them's right. And I think one of them is winning it by having a flagpole on
2: the top of their malting (laughs) I was just going to say. (laughs) I won't say
1: win. So malt and and barley and the cereal grains have a profound emotional place in southern Alberta. And beer is the best expression and the best value added agri-food you can get for those cereal grains. And we've also got hard water and that hard water. Our first brewmaster was German. When he landed here in 1985, he looked around and said, Oh, I see a lot of barley here. Great. I need that. But when he looked at the water and saw that it was hard water, he said, I guess I'm making English ales our water content. Yeah. And, and you'd say, boy, a German making English ales. Um, but he, he, he looked at the geography and said that is shaping the portfolio rather than saying everybody was drinking lagers, you know, you'd have to soften the water to make it. But uh, a German brewmaster followed the geography, which, which kind of doesn't happen anymore. It certainly happens in Europe. They, like you look at the Czech Republic and and it's Czechs weren't born loving lager. They sit on top of soft water and, and that makes lager and similar state in the UK, they sit on hard water and so they make ales. Our our strongest beers even today, and all of our original recipes were all based on on uh, ale varieties. Um, originally, all English ale styles. You know, an Irish red. You know, a stout, a porter, uh, an English brown ale. Um, some original IPAs, like but but English style ones. And then as as we started pushing into some German ale styles, a crystalvites and hefeweizens and that kind of thing. Um, and, and you don't see a lot of breweries anymore where they are shaped by their geography or they are an expression of where they're, they were founded. Now, if you dream it, you can make it. And yeah. that really is, I mean, that's the beauty of what I'll call this most recent iteration from 2010 forward is, is brewers make whatever they can imagine. And that's the fun and inventiveness and the bleeding edge. Uh, but when we started, it was, it was with limitations. There's no limitations. Now I I have a a small bias on which one I think makes more interesting beers. And I think limits actually make more interesting beers. I'll tell you my bias. I think having some limits makes you more creative than having no limits, because I think then you're madly off in all directions. Yeah, I totally agree
2: with that. Uh, There's the, uh, you know. people are afraid of the idea of structure, but you, you you don't, you know, look at any poem, any song, there's a structure of rhythm, there's a structure of beat. And so having that, having like putting up some guardrails just focuses that creativity is is my belief. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, but you brought up something that, you know, I, I, it kind of challenges me sometimes uh, because uh when we talk about, you know, in the in the twenty twenty teens when we we suddenly are making incredible beer. We can make uh, Big Rock could make an amazing Czech logger. You and I were talking about Czech before we got started in uh in, in the podcast I did with Nikki Yardley. Uh, you know, we have the ability to recreate an excellent Czech uh logger anywhere. Yep. Doesn't mean we should. <laughs> Uh, I go back and forth because I love the ability to innovate and recreate and and give our interpretation. To me, it's like you know, back, a long time ago when we go on vacation, we took a bunch of photos, came back and sat our friends and family down for a slideshow. And said, "Here, here's our trip. We want to give you just a a taste of the experience we had." That's kind of what, you know, uh, a Czech var in in the Northwest or in Canada, uh, a Czech lager would be is like, here's just a taste of what we had back in the Czech Republic. But that also lets people think, oh, this is a Czech lager because Big Rock brewed it or XYZ brewery brewed it. And this is what a Czech lager is like. And they may never go seek out uh you know, the true version from the source. What what are your feelings on that? We're getting a little philosophical right now. We'll come back to Canada, but this was a fun one.
1: I, I totally agree. Actually, I think IPA as a style is maybe the best example yeah. of how brewing innovation and has perverted the course of IPAs in a uniquely American way. Like, the it is essentially an American style now. I would, you know, I'll fight anybody that challenges me, but an IPA, an English style, it's very different. We've made... What I'd say traditional IPAs are, and I've had people say it's not an IPA, and I say, well, let's let's not disagree. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this because um, this is what IPAs would have historically tasted like. Uh, for us, authenticity matters, and so I, I, I totally agree. You know, the only place to have like a Czech Pilsner, you've got to have it in the Czech. You cannot say you've experienced it when it's been brewed someplace else. We do import elements of ingredients even though we can still get all of the ingredients locally in order to anchor uh our classic largely european styles we import character ingredients you know a a hop or a malt or a yeast from the region of the style that we're trying to honor and that has been how we've it partly it's because when we started in the 80s you couldn't get all of these things so you had to import them from the source We've continued to do it, even though it adds cost and it maybe takes, it diminishes the local, uh, the the local, the value of locally sourced ingredients, which really all our beers are still, you know, 94% local sourced ingredients. We never wanted to lose sight of the fact or or, or give a nod to the authenticity of where these recipes come from. And I'll use, we make a Kolsch, Rhinestone Cowboy, we import a the yeast from cologne we don't call it a kolsch though because that would be i think a bit offensive to the
2: uh, 18 brewers of cologne who really do make. which in germany it's an appellation you can't but you know yeah yeah those those laws don't extend here so we could do it we could do whatever we want but i appreciate your respect and nod to the kolsch convention of 86 to just say hey no we're going to respect it but please continue
1: we're gonna make a lagerdale yeah. and, and but we still bring in the proper yeast. What we wanna do is um, Ed's founding philosophy, which we still live by, is is the best international styles brewed fresh here. And so make no mistake, these are international styles, but they're not from where they are. They're they are this time and place, you know, we try to anchor them with peated malt or or some Vienna malt or something like that 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 nods back to it. But To say, as as I believe some brewers do, this is it. You'll never hear us say this is it. They'll say this is what you've got. It's fresh. Like our edge is always the
2: slideshow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, taken from the real place.
1: You want to know more? Get on a plane.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So uh, I do want to know more. Uh, uh, How would you describe the difference between? Canadian craft and American craft, or even other craft around the world, is there enough distinction where you could put your thumb on this is Canadian craft?
1: We look at, um, it's funny. We talk a lot about American craft. I mean, obviously we experience a lot of American craft, um, in Canada, I believe craft beer trends largely travel up our Western coast, and enter into Canada through BC. You know, BC has such an intimate border with the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And then slides across Canada and lands in Ontario and in Quebec. Now, even though Ontario shares a tremendous border with New York and Michigan, um, it doesn't seem that the American beer personality crosses the border as frequently. Even though people go down south of the border, they drink American craft beer, they come home and then they drink Ontario craft beer out in Western Canada, I feel like we get more direct American influence. We don't partition between the two. There's this real muddying of waters between our two
2: cultures. There's a sense of, uh, Uh, forgive me for interjecting, but there's a sense of just kind of a a regionality there that's better known as Cascadia. That includes BC and the Northwest of of the United States. And so that, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That Cascadia mentality, where there really doesn't seem to be a border, and then it bleeds over into Alberta. Um, American craft beer, I would say, you know, is and and I don't want to offend anybody, but but is focused so intensely on IPA. The Canadian craft brewers were were struggling to try and catch up with that. Like Big Rock has struggled to try and get a respectable. Uh, American style IPA in our portfolio because consumers want it, but you'll see maybe a, a bit more diversity of style at your average Canadian craft brewery. And that's more our English and Germanic roots. You know, Canada is not a melting pot. And so there's, I think there's still a stronger cultural, like distinctly cultural influence on our beers. Uh, when people move to America, they become Americans. When people move to Canada, they become you, you know Ukrainian Canadians or German and German Canadians or something like that. And 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 I think you still see this lust for a taste of home mm. that that imbues itself in the offerings of an average Canadian craft brewery. Now I'm speaking. I, I've only been to maybe ten great American cities for beer, and so and I know that everybody makes a lot of different styles. But but our in, what we receive up here is generally one note and it'll be a an IPA or a double IPA or triple IPA all really fantastic but it seems to be hammering home one note really really hard um save for some of the most obvious exceptions like we get some boston lager up here and and we get some some new belgium fat tire up here which would be maybe some of the largest largest examples that are contrary to the point i'm trying to yeah.
2: make interesting um I, you know again I'm I'm just exposing my naivete I you know and not having uh, much knowledge or experience in Canada uh it's funny here it seems to me that y- yes there there is there is a desire for people to become American uh, but here you know there's you know I, I live in uh in Idaho and there's a huge Basque culture so there's still I still see uh, a huge uh just love for the homeland, you know, that you have, uh, Basque Americans or coming from uh, Southwest and, and California, you have, uh, Mexican Americans, you have, uh, Latin American, uh, you know, uh, Americans and, and, and you see that all the way around when you really get into the weeds. And that's the fun part about conversations like this is generally speaking, it's easy to say, Oh, people just want to become American. But when you get down to it and you get your elbows deep into the stuff, then you see this like, yeah, I'm American, But, you know, uh, so that's that's the part that that when you look, take a closer look, it really starts to manifest in in your culture, your food, your beer, how you how you celebrate it, how you drink it. Um, So I find that interesting uh, that that's uh, that the perception is everyone wants to be American, but ultimately we kind of want to be American or American ourselves or Canadian and, you know, a little bit, a little bit of this left over because that's where we come from. I think that's important. We
1: call it a, a cultural mosaic is, yeah. is I think what maybe the Canadian government would describe it as a strategy is to be a cultural mosaic that it is a little bit of, yeah, that
2: sounds fancier than a melting pot. So we'll, we'll go with it.
1: <laughs> what? Melting pot sounds a bit like a fondue, which I, I I'm, I'm up,
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm up for, um, so, uh, again, speaking to Canada, what what are some of the laws that affect your beer production, your beer sales, your beer distribution uh, that that we may not be aware of?
1: Uh, it's very different province to province, as it is in the states. We don't have a three tiered system up here, but we do have similar eccentricities of beer distribution. Um, that are throwbacks to a different date and time. I found province to province beer policy, beer laws have been really dynamic, you know, because there's such a strong agricultural element, you know, Canada still seeing itself largely as an agrarian country. You know, that agriculture element and the fact that really still 50 percent, more than 50 percent of Canadian craft breweries are located outside of major metropolitan areas, which which we just we did an economic impact study. And that it I was fascinated because you'd think, you know, most most craft beer is being founded in the hearts of Toronto or Vancouver. And that's not the case, particularly not in Alberta, where they're being founded in little towns like Hinton and Vulcan and tiny little towns where people are going back and starting a brewery. Um, in Alberta, which is maybe the the most forward-thinking beer jurisdiction in Canada, it's the only pri- fully private market in Canada, you get one manufacturing license and you can make any class of alcohol that you want. There's no, the Alberta government doesn't make distinctions between distilling and brewing. It's, you're making booze, here's your license. And that has been incredible from, uh, as we've moved into RTDs moving in, it, it was a really seamless transition for us.
2: That's, that and, sounds wonderfully laissez faire.
1: Oh, I, I mean, so uh, the common theme for some of the conservative provinces, which would be kind of like Republican states, mm-hmm. has been reducing red tape. And alcohol is probably one of the larger places where red tape exists. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen uh, different governments really try to eradicate bureaucracy when it comes to alcohol in Alberta easily has been the most effective at it. But all provinces, regardless of their political stripe, have seen this as a way to connect with the average Canadians. Canadians do see themselves as beer drinkers. You know, we're we're the breadbasket of North America, or we like to call ourselves a breadbasket. And, and so those cereal grains are, are kind of bred into our bones. Um, wine is so much more regional here, right? There's only two major wine growing regions in Canada. And so it's less less of a culture than, than beer, which beer and hockey. <laughs> And so we see a a simplification of alcohol policies in in each province. What we see is the biggest stumbling block. One is tax. I mean, Canadian beer tax is unbelievable. Uh, It's probably about 45 to 48% of the price of a six pack is tax. Oh my gosh. And so when we go down to the States, you're like, oh, I can get it at a grocery store and it costs me what? Like in extraordinary beers only cost me what? Um, Canadians are amazing beer shoppers in the States because there's no sticker shock. There's no price too high for American beer when you're in the States other than currency. Conversion. Yeah. And so tax is a big issue in interprovincial trade. So um, as Prohibition ruled out, they created these liquor control boards, regional fiefdoms that have been greedily controlling their borders and charging their own taxes and keeping products from other provinces out and so we see far less uh regional craft breweries regional meaning spanning across more than one province we see a lot more local trade because it is so hard to get into bc ontario quebec you know between language laws and government-run cartels that control or police their borders and 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 favor only brewers from within that region. Um, that's the the two biggest barriers that we have. You, you it's, beer is highly regional in Canada. Maybe even more so than in in the states. Even though you've got the three tiered system, it, I think it's more common for for say regional breweries to trade outside of one state, whereas it is much more common here for people to only trade within their own province.
2: Well. Uh... One of the, well, uh, there's a couple things you said I want to touch on, but one uh, one is you mentioned that okay, the government wants to reduce red tape and streamline that, but yet they're taxing the heck out of it, which which just yeah. that you know the the logical math on that does not add up for me. <laughs> what do you make of that?
1: Well, and, and and it's because of the provinces we're working on excise reform inspired by the Craft Beer Modernization Act in America um we are working on federal excise reform here in Canada um and different provinces have been a lot more forward thinking BC and Alberta have you know the, our smallest breweries pay 10 cents a liter in tax up to in Alberta's case 10,000 hectoliters which is four times larger than the average Canadian craft brewery and so we have seen certain provinces show real leadership and real partnership in growing craft beer because we've been fairly effective at saying this is not a tax story this is an economic story we are inefficient we're beautifully inefficient as operators so we have to hire people and and we don't we we source out our front doors and that beautiful inefficiency in terms of local procurement rather than global com- procurement and low levels of automation so you have to have people that economic story has been very very persuasive at different provincial levels it's what we hope to be more persuasive at a federal level Uh, The government gets that tax is there, but and and this came up in last week in America, there is still a strong prohibition act that says no level of alcohol is safe for you. And so the governments of all uh, municipal levels walk a very fine line of being seen as encouraging alcohol, make it so cheap that everybody can do it and discouraging the reckless use of alcohol, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and they always use tax as the mechanism. In this case, and maybe it worked for tobacco, it certainly killed the tobacco industry. In alcohol, we have seen a persistent decline in alcohol consumption, regardless of level of tax. You know, even in provinces where we've seen craft beer tax come quite low, uh, we've seen a consistent decline in consumption uh, for 20 years plus. In fact, Canada hit an all-time low in recorded history. So in recorded history, we're a young country. Recorded history for alcohol facts is only from 1949, so even younger still Mm -hmm. on developing statistics. Uh, We're at the lowest point of alcohol consumption than we ever have. And we hit the lowest point of beer consumption. We've never had more choice in beer, and we are drinking less of it. And so Mm. our position in government has been Boy, oh, boy, you know, what we've seen is a shift in terms of volume. So craft is gaining market share, but the overall pie, like our, we're getting more slices of the pie, but the pie is getting smaller. And so that expense to, to make the products we make is profoundly different than than what it costs multinationals to make beer. And I'll say notionally per hectolitre. Uh, and apologies um, for the American audience. We speak in this hectoliter measurement huh. This is like a barrel. It's like a barrel. Um,
2: no apologies. I think we're the only country that doesn't use metrics. So you know, I, I, <laughs> that's our yeah. All so knows. your, your international knows. audience will
1: will speak hectoliter. And I'd say you know to make a hectoliter of craft beer is is probably three or four times more expensive. And so that is our argument: is because we've got this expense because of our beautiful inefficiency, we should be taxed less. We always hear. From larger brewers, that the playing field should be level, that everybody should have to pay the same tax. But some of these guys have been around for 300 years. Yeah. You know, they predate a lot of the tax implications that we live with today. But, but it, long story short, you know, can the Canadian government, the one thing that I think is giving them pause is anytime you change alcohol legislation to make it faster, cheaper, stronger, um, you're seen as accepting that alcohol is part of society and there is a what i hope is a vocal minority uh the squeaky wheels of the world that would do anything they could to 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 not make alcohol cheaper but to make it more expensive to continue to drive it to zero and and that was the so what i referenced last week is is biden's uh uh comms person getting challenged on what was allegedly the canadian beer drinking guidelines of two drinks a week which is not true we have a, uh, a special interest group in Canada that had done a study and had proposed to the Canadian government that it should be two drinks a week, down from two drinks a day. Yeah. And and uh, unfortunately, the American press, through some broken telephone, have thought that that is actually Canadian policy, that they that Health Canada adopted it. And, and that simply is not the case. It is still the same drinking guidelines we've had for quite some time, which is two drinks a day. Um but you get this amplifying of 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 these groups um who say that no amount of alcohol is safe and so it should it should be less. There are plenty of studies that I've read that say some modest intake of alcohol is is there. The kind of binge drinking or the kind of reckless use of alcohol in Canada doesn't exist anymore. You know, it, or it, it was very fringe. We don't have Frosh weeks or 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 you know, kids going to first year university getting totally gone, so most of our campuses have gone dry because uh Canadian drinking ages differ province to province. Some are 18 years and some are 19 years, and so kids are going to college when they're underage, even in Canadian standards. We just don't see that kind of reckless behavior with alcohol. In fact, the whole generation, my major anxiety is the generation of beer drinkers that's coming up now are choosing alcohol less than anybody ever has The the rate of underage drinking is the lowest it's ever been. The rate of binge drinking is the lowest it's ever been the rate of abstinence. So people who've never drank alcohol, this is this new Mm -hmm. generation of potential drinkers is the highest it's ever been. Like we don't have a, a problem with reckless consumption of alcohol anymore. What we do have is people enjoying alcohol as part of an experience, you know, as 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 a unique flavor, as a unique exposure to, you know, I'm listening to music and I'm having a beer. You don't have people just sitting in some dark hole in a recliner drinking beer, which maybe once upon a time was the case. Guys come home from work and crush a six-pack while they sat in their lazy boy. We don't have that. And generationally, we won't have it. Those guys are dying. And the generation beneath us just simply doesn't do it. Uh, Maybe cannabis has had a small impact on that. I think it is more... Uh, this generation is poor and they're choosing to spend their money on experiences rather than beer. And now what we try to do, and this is where Canadian culture is is catching up with American culture, is we're trying to make beer tourism and, and where beer fits into a community as a community meeting place in absence of Elks clubs and Kiwanis clubs and and good fellows clubs and and all of those old so mason hall masonic yeah. halls they don't exist anymore and breweries have become those community meeting places where we're almost all tap rooms in canada are all ages you know it, it would be very rare for a tap room to to not have kids in it and not have a, a non-alc option for for people to to enjoy because we see that we now are those community hubs
2: yeah. uh you, you touch on so many great nuggets of little rabbit holes. I want to go down. Uh, but you know, effectively have to pick one, um, a, a recent, uh, episode of good beer matters. I was talking to a professor who wrote a book talking about and talked about why we as a human species just have this need to get drunk. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, <I> <laughs> and, and, and it was in, 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 in this discussion, you know, and this kind of goes back to, you know, is alcohol, Bad for you is alcohol. Good for you is, and, you know, the only, the only consistent answer to that question that keeps on going back and forth, like a tennis match is moderation is the key, but what it really comes down to, and we even brought this up in the conversation. I want to get your take on this, uh, given the context of what you just laid out about, uh, you know, how things are going in Canada with people drinking and, and, and new drinkers entering the fold, but beer's one of those things, or alcohol is one of those things that, you know, we don't need. We don't need this in our lives we can survive without alcohol just like we can survive without music just like we can survive without a variety of clothes to put on we would be just fine if every single one of us wore black t-shirts with nothing on it and there was no music there was no color we ate the same thing for breakfast we ate the same thing for dinner we would survive but that just flat out sucks yeah. uh at, so at some point uh, you know and i don't i don't condone i know it happens i've been guilty of it but at the end of a hard week the idea of decompressing or dealing with a, a sense of chronic or or acute depression with uh, a few extra beers is something that happens it's not the best way to deal with it but it is something that happens even better is to create an experience with something. Uh, and I, I call uh, beer is, it, you know, we have soundtracks to movies. Beer for me is a flavor track to our life. You, I can, I have memories uh, based upon flavor and everything. If we used a beer as a flavor track along with some food and a t-shirt with color and a bow tie that your wife made and, and, a, and to decipher the experience between visiting you at your house, visiting me at my house, And just seeing those differences and enjoying those differences and letting the joy of life come to fruition through these unique experiences. That's where alcohol really has the value. It's not doing our liver any favors, but it's doing our life some favors, depending on how we use that. What's your impression of that, given the context of, of what's happening in Canada?
1: I totally agree. You know, it's that I remember re- reading or seeing a thing where the Australian shed culture, where where men would gather in sheds and have a beer, but the beer wasn't central to the experience. It was getting together mm-hmm. and talking. Sometimes that talking is about how they're feeling. Sometimes that's t- the talking is about how the rugby match went, but it created a, an opportunity. For people to not focus just on the alcohol, but focus on how they're feeling, or or sports scores, or something like that, and that is absolutely the culture. The tap room, that tap room culture, is meant to facilitate: is get people out and make the consumption of alcohol not central to the experience, but just something that facilitated the experience. Let's have a beer. Yeah. I mean, uh, so every today is Friday when we're recording this. I have three draft taps in my garage. My driveway is the meeting place for our community. Like my two blocks around my house, I'll get home. I don't know how these bastards get, beat me to my driveway. I'm a beer professional. I've got three draft taps and I'm generally the last one to my own Of course, force is
2: strong with beer. them.
1: <laughs> yeah. But what happens is, uh, and, and I'll say the end of my best day ends in a cold beer and the end of my worst day ends in a cold beer. I have beer every single yeah. day. And so it is helpful that normalizing my beer drinking. I don't just drink when I'm sad and I don't just drink when I'm happy. At the end of my best day and my worst day, still in the cold beer, and eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, they end with me sharing that with either my wife or my neighbors or somebody who's walking by on the street, walking the dog. And I say, come and grab a beer. It is, having a beer is, is a great way to say, how you doing? You know, instead of just saying how you're doing, because then you just stand there with your hands in your pocket and say, I'm fine. Beer stretches that I'm fine out into a longer conversation. And I and I cherish it. You know, I as a daily beer drinker, some people would say that sounds like an alcoholic, but I have one beer every day. Like When you talk about moderation, that is it. it. My wife and I, I grab a beer at the bottom of my garage steps when I'm on my way up. I grab one for her, one for me. And. I, that's how I say I'm home and here's a beer. And I ask her how her day went, you know, we we maybe do a little cooking together or it is just such a magical way to connect when it's done responsibly. And, and when you do it in public like that, instead of taking it out of these dark corners, which prohibition caused as people had to go into dark club, dark alleyways, when you take it out of there and normalize it, we've seen a lot of jurisdictions in Canada make drinking in public parks. Okay. Because, the act of drinking isn't what's offensive; it's being an asshole or <laughs> being like recklessly drunk in public. That is, and there's separate laws mm-hmm. for that. You could be reckless in public and not be drunk and get the same ticket as being drunk and reckless in public. And so, taking those, taking alcohol and not making it some kind of vice, but treating it like it once was, which was the safe way to drink water. Um, now that we have safe drinking water, maybe the importance of beer in society has been minimized. But hell, we've only had safe drinking water coming out of our faucets for 120 years. So <laughs> the majority of beer's history yeah. has been the only way we safely. Hybrid. Well, if you
2: talk to some folks in Michigan, they, they would uh, say they're still waiting for it too. So you know, it you know, yeah. it, it's all kind of equal. But um, but you spoke to the Canadian experience, Um, or at least I'm going to take a little bit of leap off of what you were talking about and leap a little bit further out into, uh, you know, not everyone, people aren't drinking as much. And, and to say that people uh, aren't underage drinking like they used to, uh, you know, that's a good thing to say people are abstaining. Well, Hey, every, to each his and her own, Um, you know, whatever your thing is, find that thing that brings joy to your life. It You and I just happen to agree that, you know, like if I'm having a down day and feeling kind of down, I might go listen to a song that helps me lean into that feeling and lean into that emotion and just fully experience it. And then, then I'll, I'll pull out of my nosedive and come back up and, and things are better. When I'm getting ready for a, an athletic event, then I've got something that's going to pump me up. But the consistency there is I'm using song to, Lean into my mood one way or the other. We can do the same thing with flavor, uh, but w- when we translate that into an experience, uh, I'm going to ask you to expand on that a little bit more. Uh, in the, the the I mean the the question is how do you create an experience using beer as your tool?
1: And so that is this tap room culture that has developed in canada and in, in canada has gotten quite good at facilitating that center of community is um offering non-elk options which every almost every canadian craft brewery now offers a hop water or a non-elk beer or or a crafted soda pop if not made by them yeah. made by somebody else kombucha uh, craft brewers have seen and it's funny because we make our living making craft beer but we've seen the importance of even serving products we don't make in our tap rooms. We recognize the importance that tap rooms that our breweries have helped establish the importance of that tap room to community. And, and I think it's, that speaks to a, a bit of, and I don't know that it's uniquely Canadian, but co-opetition. it's not uncommon for you to go into a Canadian craft brewery. That's pouring a, a beer from a beer or a product made by one of their neighbors. Um, it, it has focused on that experience and elevating that experience. Are we just open up our Alberta Ale Trail, and it is a series of curated paths? None of them are just go from this brewery to this brewery to this to this brewery to this brewery. It is go from this brewery to this farmers market, to this uh, vintage clothing store, to this brewery, to this restaurant. Like, and this is brewers who have spent money to establish an ale trail that actually takes people to stuff that doesn't make beer, because we've said. This is how people want to live their lives Mm -hmm. now, is beer is part of it. It is not central to it. And we've accepted it in in a way that maybe other industries don't accept that, that you know, soda pop, I don't think the soda pop guys are sitting around talking about experiences that aren't central to soda pop. Um, Whereas craft breweries were sitting around saying, well, what could somebody do? If they come all the way to my brewery, what else could they do? If they've got kids, what else could they do? We are maybe unique as, a, as an industry culture that we are actually asking ourselves those questions and not only asking them, we're facilitating sending people to someplace other than our breweries or drinking something other than the products we make. I think that is unique and it has evolved because of this co opetition a, a, a group of entrepreneurs who are passionate, who, people who are passionate about beer first and foremost, saying, I, I'm succeeding. I want my friend to succeed because I share this passion in common with them almost every other industry, you want to crush your competition. And that is not, it's not the Canadian craft brewing community. You, it, you'd you be hard pressed to find someone who would articulate that they hope that the guy next to them goes down. There's whole brewing districts that work together to make sure that they're elevating their neighbors. And that is so unique, but it has, it has meant that it's de-emphasized sitting down and drinking beer. The emphasis is on experience going from place to place, trying different things, meeting, getting together, which is unique to certainly Canadian craft beer and unique to craft beer in general. There's no other, there's not a a network of guys making cookies or breaking bread or even bars and restaurants are generally fairly loath to say, hey, I'm going to make a bar crawl where you come to my restaurant and then you go to that guy's restaurant. That doesn't happen. Maybe some business some, some business, uh, groups would, would facilitate yeah. that, but beer would yeah. do it. Like that's our end. And,
2: and it's a shame that our inherent assumption is competition is the way, uh, cause you know, beer is a, a great example of that, uh, cooperation working better for everyone. I've heard of other examples. Uh, I think the one that uh, bubbles up into, uh, in my mind is a discussion of, uh, you know, different boroughs and maybe uh, New York or different parts of Italy or something like that, where you have all these Italian restaurants in one neighborhood, but, but they all work together. they all co-op together and, uh, to, uh, to kind of facilitate that, you know, and to have a neighborhood like that, where there's one great Italian restaurant that beat out all the competition. Well, that's just a neighborhood with a great place to go eat. A, one place, one yeah. place. But when you have a bunch of flourishing uh, Italian places in this example, now, now you have little Italy <laughs> and and that's yeah. where everyone wants to go to experience little Italy. And, and, and there are towns all over the world that have that little Italy thing. And, and so that's just proof that you don't have, it's not, it's not always a zero sum to, to, yeah. and, and so that, that kind of speaks to that beer experience of, you know, we, we can, we can have it all if we, if we, uh, work together. I love that. Um, we call it coopetition. Yeah, I, I, I noted, I noted that you, uh, you said that word and I keyed into it right away. That was perfect. Uh, before we start closing down, uh, from anyone who's listening around the world, like me, who's never been to Canada, what should we know and understand and appreciate about Canada before we come and try and have one of your beers?
1: Well, partly, uh, partly how arcane some of the Canadian beer drinking laws are. So while I say we've got drinking in parks, it's not every park. And so Canada still is, if you could think of a bit of a disapproving ant, there is still a, a real strong element of the disapproving ant in Canadian beer culture. And so when you come here, check with the bartender at the taproom to see what you can and can't get away with, uh, the, the local beer drinking customs, because it. They do vary drastically from province to province. But what you will find is is uh, almost exclusively, in the, and I think this is similar to the States, you'll be dealing with people who uh, are doing more than one thing at the brewery. And so it, it, this is these are not tourist attractions. This is nine times out of 10, the bartender is also a, the same person who's kegging the beer, or canning the beer, or brewing the beer. And that's fascinating, like the, the caliber of of questions you can ask the sophistication of the of the taproom culture here you can ask a lot of your experience and you will find that you'll be welcomed in to if you want to take a look at the brew kit you just ask i, I mean there is uh, there's not a lot of formality to our beer culture yet it isn't it isn't as developed as like i make it sound like it's well organized and it is but it's not developed into some kind of refined experience so you want to see something. You want to try something. All you have to do is is ask, and you will find very open minded community of brewers of all sizes here that will take you in and show you the shop. You know, they you might not be able to get a tour. Don't ask for a tour. Just ask if you can go if somebody will <laughs> show you the brew kit because they probably don't have a tour, or maybe they only run tours on Saturdays because they feel like they have to bring a special tour guide in for that. Yeah. But you just ask, and, and away you go. It, it is quite folksy in that regard. And there are some, you know, there are there are some cities that you absolutely must visit in Canada. Unfortunately, um, there's breweries in every city now, but Toronto is an, an excellent beer city. Vancouver is an excellent beer city. Calgary, or or Alberta as a whole, is an incredible place to go and experience beer. And you will find, if you have the luxury of trying each one of them, you'll see some regional distinctions, but you'll also see the same kind of hospitality and the same kind of kind of folksy open-mindedness. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of artifice around beer in Canada. It's pretty folksy. It's a, a culture made by people who are passionate about making beer.
2: That sounds refreshing. Um I, I've been thinking a lot about that lately and posted on LinkedIn, LinkedIn about that lately about how it used to be folksy. It used to be passion-driven and you know, it's not as much as it used to be and so that's refreshing. Um so okay, so some uh, fun little closeout questions. You've probably heard these before. You probably have your answers all canned ready to fly. Uh but uh tomorrow we're gonna uh we're gonna turn you into the king of the entire beer world for a day. What's <laughs> what's one thing you would change? God,
1: it is a great question. I think the the one thing I would I would remove, remove all beer tax. I I think you know it, selfishly. In a community of brewers, there's there's brewers certainly in Canada that are having such a hard time keeping their doors open, that that cash flow, could be put to far better use. Mm. So I would kill all beer tax if I was king of the beer world for a day. I'd kill all beer tax if I had if I had that ability to reach well, over let into the
2: let, let me good. play devil's advocate a little bit because you are the king. Of the beer world, so yeah. you, you basically just shot yourself in the foot, and and no longer uh, can fund any future thing. So, what? How do you unpack that?
1: Uh, well, I am so confident in in craft beer's ability to create economic results outside of tax that I'm not worried about cash flow. This is something that I do get challenged on: is where's the money going to come from to build schools and playgrounds and things like that? If not from vice, and it comes from income tax. It comes from sales tax. It comes from the multitude of other taxes that Canadians pay. Um, make it the old fashioned way by by employing people and in, in growing our economy instead of taxing the people that are making your economy run.
2: Um, we're taxing that thing that makes our life just a little bit better. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, 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 you know, the unfortunate thing for consumers, if you're listening, is I don't think beer prices would come down a lot,
0: <laughs> truthfully.
1: Uh, but what you would get is fresher, cleaner beer made on better equipment, you know, uh, beer, brewery owners who actually pay themselves a living salary, you know, taproom experiences with chairs that aren't screwed together and tape together, but new chairs, that's where you'd get it. You wouldn't necessarily, not to burst your bubble, but you wouldn't necessarily get it in cheaper beer. You'd get it in better well, beer.
2: Well, maybe the tour guide would show up on more days than just Saturday as well, you know? <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly.
2: So uh, and another big question is, uh, I mean, you spend a lot of time in beer. Why does good beer matter so much to you?
1: Good beer matters so much to me because it is how I experience my community. I have very few experiences that beer isn't a part of, and that makes me sound like a total booze hound, but um, beer is, I see the good that beer does. You know, we sponsor a lot of cultural organizations across Canada that couldn't survive without beer support. And and those organizations do amazing things in our communities that beer is just a very small part of, but, but beer helps make them sustainable, and and I love that. I love that beer can do so much good, um, that consumers don't see. You know, art openings, music concerts, like folk fest. We we've sponsored yeah. a folk fest. They're simply not sustainable because. Uh, the governments of the world do not prize the arts the way they should. And you talked about it. We're living in a culture where there's music and art and theater. Those organizations do not exist solely on government coffers at all, and they and they won't exist simply on ticket prices either. Um, they need organizations like breweries to support yeah. them, and and I would be loath to live in a world where where we didn't have
0: that.
2: Uh, and, and, and I have to bring this up too, based upon what you just said. At the time that you and I are recording this, uh, we the the island of Maui is reeling after the fires that just devastated the old town Lahaina. And what's happening is, and please forgive me if I mispronounce this, but the uh, Kokua um, idea is where they're going to get a bunch of breweries to brew the same beer, and and all the proceeds will go to support that community, much like they did a few years ago to support uh, Northern California that uh, Sierra Nevada put out um, that beer. So, and and I bring that up just because the beer community is one of those communities that really rallies around each other, competitors or not. If if someone if someone needs some help there's a good chance that the breweries are going to dive into it and get their hands dirty. And so I appreciate you saying that uh, before. Well, and also
1: even to go one step farther, uh, we get breweries up here when we have forest fires, uh, canned water. Mm, Yep. And, and, and give that, get the cans donated and give canned water that's safe to drink to people fighting forest fires, people displaced by forest fires. And I say that because it's been so topical for us in Canada, Mm -hmm. but, but it is that, capability that we have as a brewer that we can can water we can swoop in and it 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 takes us no time at all to run some cans of safe water and get it out there and and then also make beers we've made beers for ukraine and and all kinds of stuff like beer is such a relatable common good price point people get to participate but but it's even um something as simple as having safe drinking water breweries often do facilitate that which i think maui brewing may have also canned
2: water yeah. as well. And and that's an easy selling point too. Uh you know for us as consumers, you want to do some good in the world, drink a beer. Uh, you know, just yep. okay, sign me up. I'll, I'll I'll take two and do extra good, you know. <laughs> yeah. <So> that's easy. <laughs> that's an easy one. Uh so the uh, website to learn more about you guys is bigrock.com or bigrockbeer.com, excuse me, right? Um uh do you have any final words you want to share with us before we uh we we end this episode?
1: Come to Canada and have a beer. We uh, we make some really great beers up here. Come and visit us. We're easy to get to. Hell, you got direct flights to somewhere in Canada. From wherever you're listening, there's a direct flight coming to Canada. And you may actually uh, see a mountain or a moose or jump in a lake. There's all kinds of stuff to
2: do cold lake <laughs> anyway thank you so much for the work you're doing thank you for sharing your perspective on uh, your vast perspective on on beer but just kind of giving us a better lens into what it's like to come visit canada when we finally do come visit canada and see a moose and jump in a lake and have a beer with you at uh, at big rock brewing um uh, I'm, I'm just glad you're here thank you Party on
0: I'm always amazed that despite whatever differences we may perceive between us and other people, we are also so much alike. Beer happens to be one of those wonderful things that get us to slow down long enough to remember this. Thanks to Brad Goddard for the reminder. In the next episode, instead of virtually exploring beer culture, we talk with an expert who takes people on guided beer trips for a living. I'm on a virtual tour of the craft and culture of beer around the globe. I've put Good Beer Matters on video so I can take you along for the ride. If you know of a person, a place, or a beer story that needs to be told, let me know. Meanwhile, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let your world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.